let the works slightly move you, but like, don't let them like completely change your, like you're probably on the right path already. Like, don't like just give up what you're doing because you saw this. There are exceptions to what I just said though, for sure. Sometimes people see something and they're like, that is the future. And then they go do it and they're right. But it's usually a nudge. Hello everyone. So we have a special guest for today's episode our very own It's Material World team member, Kyle Matthews. So you may know him from our rapid research reviews on LinkedIn, TikTok, Instagram Reels, and YouTube Shorts, where he summarizes material science research papers in one minute or less in a very informative and easy to understand manner. But his you know day job, he's a PhD candidate at Drexel Nanomaterials Institute, focusing on Maxine research in Dr. Yuri Gagotzi's lab. And in his spare time, he's our outreach manager for its material world. So in terms of what we're talking about today, he's attended several material science conferences over the years, and we'll be discussing what it's like to attend MSE conferences, why they're valuable, and how to make the most of them. So welcome to the show, Kyle. Hi, thanks a lot, Paneeth. Uh, I really appreciate being you know, brought out to talk about what it's like going to these different conferences and how you can make the most of them. Yeah, so I actually was never able to go to a conference due to COVID and then uh, just not having enough research earlier in those years. So could you just explain to us like what it's like to go to a material science conference and why we should attend them? Different conferences, of course, are going to have like slightly different vibes. There are a lot of different material science conferences, depending on what your main focus is. For example, like ACS, MRS, TMS, like and we can just keep going down the list. We'll get into that later. But Really, what you can expect from them is you're going to see a really broad array of topics, even in a focused conference, that goes beyond what your research is. And you can use this to kind of expand your horizons, as well as catch up on like what is the up and coming and leading things in the field. Like you can look at the top research, go to the keynote talk, find out like what's really at the top of the field right now. And you can also go to these like talks that are tangentially related to your work and kind of expand on what you know. And of course, where there's these talks, there's people. And I would say conferences are the best networking opportunity that I've had in terms of uh, research and PhD. Yeah, for sure. And it's been clear with, you know, the value you brought to its material world, just, just how much power there is to networking. Would you say just in general, like for undergrad versus graduate students, like there's different value add there in terms of attending, you know, material science conferences? Like how do you make the most of it as an undergrad versus a graduate student? Yeah, sure. There's definitely different angles to play as an undergrad and graduate. Some of them are going to overlap. It's just that like what you're going for is slightly different. So it also really depends. Most of the time when you're going to a conference, you're going to present, whether that's a poster or a talk. Probably as an undergrad, you might be giving a poster. As a grad student, you could be giving a poster or a talk. They give different experiences. And now you might be giving a talk as an undergrad as well. So that's why I said there's a lot of overlap. But you know, the poster session is a great time to explain your research to people. And the people that are going to come up to your poster are people that you caught their eye. So hopefully there is some kind of connection you can make there. Maybe they have related research. Maybe they know your PI. You know, maybe there's a connection there. They work in the same field. You can build connections. As a grad student, I would say it's like a double-sided thing. So essentially you need to do all that. You need to make those connections, but also you really should focus on conveying your research too. You know, you're, what you're doing could be something that no one else is doing. Or even if there are other people doing it, there's no one presenting on it in this conference or in the symposia at least. 
So you need to sell what you're doing to other people so they understand what you're doing. And that's kind of like the difference I would say between the two. And of course, at the same time, the networking that you're going to do is going to be a little different. As an undergrad, you might be looking to go to talks where you might be interested in going to those labs for grad school. Or you want to meet with like national lab people. You know, if you want to go to a national lab, that's a great place to meet with national lab people as a conference. As a grad student, well, you're already in grad school. So you might be looking at postdoc opportunities. There are these connect with current postdocs for faculty position opportunities. I've seen this at like MRS, for example. So I would say it's the same goal of like making connections, but it just depends on the level and how much you have to deliver depends on like what level you're at currently. So did you go to both undergrad and graduates conferences when you were back in undergrad? When I was in my undergrad, I didn't go to any conferences. I was doing research in my undergrad too, though. Uh, but I was also doing a lot of like non-research work as well. Like uh, I did research in metallurgy group that was doing characterization and that was great. I also worked at Naval Surface Workers Center Carterock doing an internship there, which gave me some experience like working in kind of like a lab setting like DOD. And I also like I went back to research, but then I also did it because Drexel has a co-op system. So you essentially do six month internships. I worked at an aerospace company. So I was kind of flip flopping between research and industry at the time. And uh, the conference just didn't really come up. But I did have some like conference abstracts and like um, papers submitted for like um, MSNT type conferences uh, or TMS. I'd have to go back and look. Honestly, it's been a long time. But uh, so I was involved in as a co-author in some of these works uh, as an undergrad and the corresponding PhD student went and presented the work. So now that I've gotten to grad school, I've I've definitely gotten a lot more conferences mm -hmm. under my belt. Yeah. So let's dive into that a little bit. You know, you've mentioned a lot of acronyms, right? So what are some of those major, I guess, well-known MSE conferences and what are their differences? And then also, you know, can you kind of discuss if you would recommend different conferences for like an undergraduate student versus a graduate student? Well, definitely. First thing I'll say is I can definitely recommend different conferences for what you're studying. And that might also have an effect on like undergrad and grad. We'll see like as we get into it, but definitely what field you're on can affect what conference is like the most useful. So the first conference I got to go to, if my mind is working right, is uh, American Chemical Society uh, meeting. So ACS which isn't necessarily a material science conference. This is a chemistry conference, really. But it covers such a wide breadth uh, that there's like material science, chemistry, uh, lots of different engineering. It's it's a very broad and large conference. Uh, that was a great experience because I got to go and it wasn't actually, I didn't have to present. It was a rare opportunity. We just got to go. Uh, there was an award for our PI and uh, a few of the first year PhD students got to go because we didn't get to do any travel because of COVID. So this was like the end of our first year. Uh, so American Chemical Society would be like that. It's like Materials and Others. Materials Research Society, MRS. I mean, it's in the name. That's like a huge materials conference. Everything there is materials focused. I'm a big fan of MRS. I've been there multiple times, spring and fall. And different cycles can be different as well, different experiences. And that can be uh, tricky as well. So depending on what kind of research you want to see, whether it's the spring or the fall cycle will change, like what's going to be the main focus. But this is the kind of stuff that you can find on their websites. TMS, as we've talked about here, uh, I mean, David and Puneeth might be able to tell more about TMS than I can at this rate since we covered it a whole episode on it. <laughs> but I was just there uh, this past month. 
another name I'll throw out, which is a really, really great opportunity, GRC. So that's Gordon Research Conference. Gordon Research Conference is different from all the others, but if you get the opportunity to go, go. That's my automatic suggestion. Undergrad, grad, whatever, if you get the opportunity, go. It was, it's the best conference I see. It, not the best, you know, I don't want to throw around with like that, but it's a completely unique experience that you can't get, I think, from the others. So it should be there in your list of experiences. Makes it unique, Kyle. Well, what makes that conference unique? So Gordon Research Conference is much smaller one. Uh, you need to apply to go to the conference. You can't just register. You would send an application. And if you're accepted, then essentially it will be you and let's say some number less than 160 uh, other people. Uh, no one, you don't give, if you're like a PhD student or an undergrad, master student, anything like that, you don't give a talk. You give a poster. All the talks are invited speakers. So it's all, it's like every talk being a keynote talk, basically. Like I went to an energy storage one. Stanley Whittingham gave, you know, like a, a talk that that first night. It was great. Other people in the field gave amazing talks. Uh, Shirley Meng was there. She gave a great talk. Uh, so many others. I, you know, I can't just name the entire list, but I'm like, you can go look at the conference uh, proceedings if you want to see the list. But when every talk is a keynote talk, it's like the takeaway is like endless. Like my notes list was so full by the end of this conference after a full week. And it gives you the opportunity where you get to meet these people and interact with them. It's such a small thing. Everyone's staying at the same place. Everyone's at the same hotel. The meals are there. Like it's part of the experience. So you're going to like sit down and eat lunch with people that are professors, undergrad, you know, grad student, everybody all together. And you just learn so much. And it's a great way to like definitely build some collaboration opportunities. Uh, and while I'll say it was the most facilitated, definitely you can build lots of collaborations at other conferences as well. We've built so many and we've made a lot of connections. Uh, our group, when we go to these conferences, even the first conference I went to, we like uh, we started a collaboration just from that. Sometimes they they make sense and you're, you kind of have it in mind beforehand. Other times it was it's just random. You meet somebody, they're working on something you don't even know about. And it turns out that there's an overlap. So that's why it's really important to take advantage of that opportunity. But yeah, the different conferences, like they cover different scopes. I will say Gordon Research Conference, there's many of them and they all cover different topics. So I can't say like what it's going to cover because it depends on which one you go to. I went to the nanomaterials for energy storage, but you know, they've also had like a batteries one that's not about nanomaterials, it's specific on batteries. They've had, there's a ton, there's like environmental science, like so many that are way outside of my scope. So like Gordon's great. Uh, so MRS covers, you know, it's like the materials research society. It covers like a broad spectrum of material science. ACS is like American Chemical Society covers that. ECS is the Electrochemical Society. So it covers everything regarding electrochemistry. And there's a surprising amount of materials that goes into electrochemistry because everything that you're doing there is made of something. And usually what you end up doing in a lot of these uh, electrochemistry works, aside from the higher, like uh, the really industrialized stuff, probably stuff that like David's working on, uh, you're going to be doing a lot of materials level characterization, you know, to find out like what you're actually working with and what's actually happening. So let's see, MRS, ACS, ECS, TMS is great if you're involved with metals, I will say. They have tons of other coverage as well. They're, they also kind of do like the broad scope thing, but definitely if you work on metals, TMS is great. Another one like that, that's big with like uh, metals and ceramics, but also they still cover the full breadth would be MSNT, uh, which is like material science and technology. Uh, they they had their last one, I believe, in Pittsburgh, at least the last one that we had people from our group going to. So 
Now, I haven't gone to that one myself, but it had an overlap with ECS. Otherwise, I would have tried. Cool. So yeah, just like you said, that last one was in Pittsburgh, but all these conferences are all across the country. So could you maybe talk about how you get to conferences, flying, driving, etc.? Uh, and then like, how can like an undergraduate or graduate student really afford being able to do all these different experiences? Yeah. So first step, secure funding before wherever it is, your university probably has a funding source, especially for undergrads. Like we have funding sources that our undergrads tap that I can't even use. They're for undergrads. Uh, I have to apply to different things, but they, we have specific funding, at least in our department for undergrads to travel. So they just need to reach out. They need to do it. Take the initiative, reach out to the head of your department, reach out to your advisor, see what's happening. And material advantage chapters. Yeah, material advantage. Material advantage chapters are a good way to secure funding for, yep. for undergrads, at least. That's great. And uh, there are some that have like uh, ones for grad school as well. Also, uh, MRS chapters can do that, like for specifically to MRS or and same uh, ECS has chapters and does travel like that as well. So if your school has a chapter associated with the conference, definitely talk to them. But if not, there should still be some general sources to apply to. Like uh, I apply a lot. There's like a there's a graduate travel subsidy through Drexel. I apply anytime it's open. Of course, you only get so many, so it doesn't cover all my travel. Another thing you need to do is apply for funding through the conferences. A lot of them have funding opportunities. MRS is great with funding opportunities. You can get the Graduate Student Research Award but you can also just apply to do assistantships while you're there or like blogging for them or like covering these different things and they'll cover your registration automatically. So that's like, you save like 300 bucks or something right there. ECS, I was happy. Uh, I got lucky. So I got a Drexel grant uh, and I also got the ECS travel grant uh, when I went there. So I actually went to ECS for free. I got to see David while I was there. I was in Atlanta this past fall. And yeah, I, I took a, we, we took a quick stop to get some pizza, but yeah, I, I was able to travel there basically for free. I think the lab spent probably $60 on that trip. So, you know, securing funding will enable you to go. Now, that doesn't mean you can't go without funding. It's just about how much, you know, your advisor can actually do. Because, you know, even in, like we have a very large group. Well, that means everyone can't go. <laughs> you know, it would cost uh, too much money. And some of these locations are harder than others. So my suggestion is always secure funding. But even if you can't secure funding, still try, reach out, make just see what happens. But also, if the conference makes sense in terms of location for some reason, then tell your advisor that reason. Like a, a good example, it didn't pan out for me just because uh, I've been traveling a bit lately. I, I've been to a lot of conferences. And I have other things coming up right now. The MRS spring meeting is in San Francisco uh, this upcoming week. I would have loved to go, but I, I've just been bouncing around a bit too much. But specifically, the reason I wanted to go aside from funding is I have a good friend who lives one block from the conference and I could stay there and then it wouldn't cost any money for housing. That's a huge savings. So, of course, if you have a situation like that, like I went to a regional meeting, uh, ACS MARM, Middle Atlantic Regional Meeting last year in June. It was in New Jersey. I just drove. I, I didn't stay anywhere. I drove there, went to the conference every day. I just went back and forth. <laughs> so... You know, if you can save the money that way, or for example, uh, MRS is in Boston. I don't fly. I take the Amtrak overnight. It's <laughs> fine. Anything that you can do to save money will encourage uh, your group and the department to send you to things. I love that. You know, you should always look for that. And also, there are tons of external funding. Uh, lots of things that even I don't know about. There's time, especially um, if you have any particular background or something like you, there might be um, funding specifically for you. 
So you just need to look at like what's out there. Yeah. Also, if you're applying to fellowships, if you're a grad student, a lot of them come with travel allowances. So keep that in mind. Uh, use them. Like, don't just forget about it because it's not, it doesn't show up in your stipend amount. Mm-hmm. You need to like ask for it. For sure. But usually you get like five grand or something. That's a lot. You can use that to travel for your whole PhD, probably. One more, I guess, just broader question before we get into some more details and logistics and things like that. But you mentioned a lot of the major conferences, but obviously there's there's a lot more that we just don't have time to cover today. So what would your advice be like in terms of recommendations for students with different research fields? How do they find those conferences that would be best for them? Is that, you know, like outside of a simple Google search, like what would you recommend? First thing I would say is talk to your advisor, whoever they are. And if they're not like a huge conference person, they're going to know who is. And so either talk to them or talk to whoever they recommend to talk to about it. Also talk to the head of your department. If if that's somebody that you can have a conversation with, which I hope it is. The head of our department is great. I love the head of our department. So if I had some questions, I could just throw them his way. I had some, like, uh, it wasn't even a conference, but I was working with some collaborators. We had some upcoming, um, like, beamline time, and it's in Europe. And I was like, oh, like, I wonder if there's funding for me to go. So I just asked around. Now, I ended up not going just because, you know, logistics. But that's kind of all it takes is, like, just uh Find someone that should know about these things and start there. Also, talk to other members of your group, uh, senior members. Like they have to have done, if, if it's someone that does go to conferences, then they have to know where the conferences are. And I would say for lesser known conferences, the other thing is to really uh, just try, look at look at the academic chatter on like LinkedIn and Twitter. Like, for example, we just had a conference in Philadelphia. Like, uh, I didn't go We had group members go, of course, though, we, we were in Philadelphia, why wouldn't someone go if there's like an overlap, you know, which there was, it was like, char- there was covering characterization and stuff. So we had people go that were big on characterization. It's called PitCon. I had never heard of it before, <laughs> just because I wasn't really working on that. But obviously, you just kind of have to keep your your ears and eyes open for things like this. I would say LinkedIn and Twitter can be pretty useful for that. Like LinkedIn, we use for a lot of things. I would say Twitter, I just exclusively use to find like events, webinars, and uh, I follow a bunch of bots for papers to find papers. <laughs> so these kind of things can be useful to follow fields and organizations that you think are useful. And then they will tell you when they're doing things. <laughs> but I, I'm an in-person kind of guy. So I say first, reach out to the in-person connections. Now let's fast forward to when you're actually at these conferences, right? So there's always so many talks and poster presentations and just so many different like seminars you could attend, right? So how do you kind of wade through all of that kind of avoid information overload and just, you know, put together a plan to really figure out what's best for you? Is there tools at your disposal? How do you kind of prepare for conferences or when you're, when you get there? Well, I will say connected to that because I know it's going to get connected anyways. Uh, most conferences do have an app and that will be the first stop. That's the first stop because you need to look at what is going to be there. Uh, if if the app like it, it maybe gets put out a little bit later, then uh, you need to look at like the program. But I usually wait until the app's out to do like really start sifting through it. But basically, you need to go through the program, whether it's just the actual document or the app. And I basically fill my entire schedule while I'm there with talks that I would theoretically go to. And I usually have overlap, like I'm gonna go to this one or this one. So I just pick out talks 
that are either uh, ones that I feel obliged to go to, like ones that are like collaborators or people in my group, my own, my PIs, those ones <laughs> like you should be at so that you can hear the relevant questions and keep up on your research. But then from there, I kind of just expand. Like I'm working a lot with zinc batteries. So I try to go with, I'll try to go to a lot of energy storage talks. Or, you know, if I work specifically with Maxine nanomaterials, if someone's working on Maxines, I'm probably going to be interested in what they're talking about. But it depends, you know, like you have to find that balance. Like, do you think it's going to be super relevant to you? One. Or is, do you think the talk is going to be really rewarding? Like sometimes I'll go to a talk that I know doesn't have to do with my work, but I know the person giving the talk is going to is going to blow your mind, you know, like uh, like I'm always going to go to that Stan Whittingham, you know, keynote talk because he's going to present some stuff that you're going to be impressed by, you know, and mm -hmm. but there's more than just keynote talks with that. You just need to look out for the names that you know. And if you're really in the dark, that's when you start asking, like, uh, I would say group mates and your advisor too, like what talks, but really like, like the first thing I'll do is simply like control F and like search for keywords that are related to my research. Yeah. That's the, really the first step is that. And then I'll fill in my schedule as much as I can with the overlaps and all. And there's two outcomes, either it's still too sparse and then I'll try to like find other things to fill it. Or it's like a little too much. Like sometimes there's a day where it's like, man, I want to go to all the talks, but you can't. Then I'll start kind of ranking them in some way. Like which one is my priority? The rest are like extra, like say I get held up in a meeting because you're going to meet a lot of people, at these conferences, maybe you get caught up in a discussion and then you're looking, you're going to miss the, you're going to miss the first 10 minutes of the talk. Well, then maybe just go to one of the other talks that you haven't missed yet. You know, like uh, good. I always try to have like a backup, 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 you know, and keep <laughs> going essentially yeah. because you don't know what's going to happen in terms of like uh, networking discussions. Cause that's really, I think uh, what will drive your timeline by, I would say the second day. Yeah. So now that you bring up networking, maybe we can dive into that a little bit more. So one question I have for you is that now you're reaching towards the end of your PhD, you have like a lot of research and like what you think is interesting so you have a very common base to do networking with. Like you will talk about energy storage in roughly your field, et cetera. So could you explain how that networking happens? And then also when you're like a first year and you didn't have like all this knowledge, like how do those different types of networking like kind of change as you grow like deeper into the field of your interest? Yeah. So actually I'm going to, I'm going to answer the question, but in reverse. So when you're first starting out, it's a little tougher, uh, of course, like especially I'm a talkative guy, but you know, you'll walk up to some really big name person and it's, it's hard to just like open up a conversation when you're like, you're like, if you're like, I'm like a child, but I would say the biggest help there is mutual connections. So if your group mate knows somebody and they're there too, and they introduce you, it just becomes a conversation, casual conversation, maybe formal introduction. And then it always becomes casual conversation. The other great thing is if like, if your PI is at the conference, they can introduce you to people that you might not want to immediately introduce yourself to at that level. That helps a lot. You know, like uh, you're also your PI knows who you should be introduced to probably like who who is relevant to you to like really be like talking to extensively. And he and he or she can say, hey, like this person works on like something that you're working on. This is my student. But that's like one answer. It's like the re rely on others. You should. But you could be at a conference alone. I've been to some conferences alone. Uh, and I even, you know, like, uh, like this past, uh, I went to ECS fall. I knew there were of course people that I knew and I had conversations with, but there were people I didn't know and who didn't know like me or anything I was working on. And, you know, you just kind of have to work up like, uh, I would say just make sure you're introducing yourself with some purpose, you know, like, uh, 
I wasn't just walking up to everyone like, hey, I'm I'm me. No, like uh, I remember like there was a professor that I walked up to. They gave a really interesting talk uh, and they talked about some conductivity issues. And I just went over, introduced myself, told them like what I was working on. And I gave them some thoughts on conductivity related to the fact that I work on like metal carbides, which are more conductive than oxides. And, you know, they were like, thanks. And that was it. You know, we didn't need to figure out some kind of icebreaker. It's like uh, mm -hmm. everybody's a scientist. They want to they want to hear what you have to say. So don't be afraid to just like share your thoughts. Just make sure they're like pretty collected. Mm -hmm. Don't just like fumble around. But if you can get that initial like introduction, that's great. I would say once you're more experienced, you should be comfortable at that point. Speak to people that are your peers as peers and people that are above you, you know, with some respect and also like uh, show them that you're engaged and listening, like, you know, give them give them some thoughts that they know that you actually listened to their talk and you have real thoughts about it, not just, oh, I know you're a big researcher, blah, blah, blah. I'm me. I got to have some nice conversations with Stanley Whittingham when I was at GRC. That was great. Phew, he's a very busy guy, you know. There is, there is still like a hundred something people there. Everybody wanted to talk to him, I'm sure. But <laughs> I did get to talk to him about some stuff. And like, I wanted to make sure that everything I spoke, every sentence was like uh, concise and useful because I knew that, you know, his availability is limited. So I would say treat a lot of your conversations like that, though. Even if you know you have more time, try to like be concise and thoughtful in like what you're what you're saying. And then hopefully it will open up avenues essentially beyond that initial introduction. So from there, like, have you found yourself from like your first conference to however many, many you've attended now, like, has it been more efficient in terms of like figuring out who to network with, who to chat with, who to connect with, or yeah. what, what is that process? Like, how do you find these people too? Yeah. And I'll say one thing, like, uh, if you make an impression, people will remember you too. So like, you know, I go to a second MRS conference and I don't need to reintroduce myself to the first 20 people I see, because I still know them. They know who I was. Some of us have maybe even kept in contact because we're working on similar fields. Like, uh, like for example, MRS is a great example for our group. There's a Maxine symposium at MRS. So the whole thing's Maxine's. So of course we're there, you know? And basically when I went there the first time, it was just like a big introduction of people that are related to our group in some way, you know, like uh, essentially like our group, uh, Michelle Barson's group at Drexel, and then like all the tangential groups that have come like from that, that are now at like other places. This was a lot of the people I was introduced to. So I I knew them, they knew who I was because they know my PI and they know like Drexel, some of them were from Drexel. So essentially like once that connection is made, the next time I went, I didn't need to be introduced to them. Maybe I was meeting their new students or, you know, people that weren't at the first conference. And, you know, like uh, essentially you're just kind of expanding your network. Like your base network doesn't disappear most of the time. Like if you've made an impression, they'll remember who you are. So I would say it gets easier every time because your network doesn't like reset every time. It just gets bigger. And so from there, this is something that I think is important, regardless of if you're like academic focus or industry focus. But how do you like keep that relationship going? beyond just that conference so that you know initial connection doesn't just like kind of fizzle out from there like how do you keep that relationship offline how do you keep in contact with them until maybe the next time that you see them in person that's a great question and it's a bit more challenging but the first thing i would say is connect with them like on linkedin things like that uh it's it's good just so they remember who you are you know put a name to a face uh outside of the conference uh if you can connect with them on that level and then also if there was some reason for the connection, like say you're interested in working with them or working with their students, or if they're a student and you want to like, you know, create some kind of collaboration, 
then the first thing you should do is send an email and like actually like establish, you know, like CC your PI, you know, like add the, make it real. And then uh, it will not just fizzle away probably. So it also just depends on like, what is the relationship exactly? Like if you just made friends with some other mutual students at the conference, like just connect with them. That's fine. Or, you know, you're great friends. Maybe you get, you're hanging out, you make a group chat or something. But if they're in like a nearby university, other than that, I would say at the next level where it's like you're you're building relationships like for networking, like for job growth, like in the future, just making those connections. Uh, if it makes sense, like exchanging like an email, like if there's like some reason, don't just shoot them an email to so they remember you. You know, if it's a collaboration or if there's something you want to like um, connect with them about or like, uh, you know, like there are people that we don't have any ongoing collaborations with that like I have emailed uh, because we've had discussions like to have a discussion with them about certain things in the field like i know this person's like a leader in this field but maybe not you know like someone so far out that they're gonna be like why is this person emailing me then you know i'll i'll reach out to them be like you want to have a discussion about this you know like uh, i have some thoughts you have some thoughts pick each other's brain kind of thing yeah and one thing that i would add to that um in terms of just maintaining relationships is you know don't always reach out like when you need something but in terms of you know just as you know like networking is is super powerful right so to maintain that just potentially set like monthly or, you know, every other month, a reminder to connect with people, reconnect with them and use like a research paper in the field and say like, Hey, you know, I read this, thought you would be interested in this. These are my thoughts, would love to hear yours and just send that along. And that's a good way to potentially just maintain that, that conversation there. Oh yeah. Like for people who are like your peers, I don't even, I don't even have to think about it. Cause like, I'm just constantly bombarding my friends with like papers and stuff. So yeah, like, uh, <laughs> Like I made friends with some people like uh, like GRC, for example, like that, like I have their number, like I'll just send a, I'll just send a paper to them like over text and just be like, yeah, hey, yeah, I was reading this today. <laughs> so yeah, like uh, for me, like I, I'm definitely going to bombard them with papers, but that's just me. But I just meant more for like the, uh, like when you build those, like, uh, like those connections to say like other PIs and stuff, like, you know, I've met like a lot of great PIs, some even connected to our group, like, um, like Michael Nagui, Babak Anasori, these are people who came like from Drexel at some point and are professors. I've met both of them. Like, I don't just like email them like offhand, you know, to be like, hey, like, how's it going? <laughs> but, you know, if there was like a reason, like um, I know their research field, maybe I see something that like is tangentially related. I might email them and ask them to CC their PhD student or or if it's one of the ones that I know, I'll just add them immediately and be like, hey, like, do we have like thoughts on this? Maybe yeah, probably sure. though, like when it comes to stuff like that, it's usually like there's like a a PI filter. So first I probably bother my boss and be like, do we want to bother them? And then probably yes, then we go on, you know? So I would say it just depends on like what tier you're at on like the the relationship, you know? But yeah, for like yeah. my peers that are my friends, yeah, just always stay connected. I, I, I message them offhand all the time. So of all of the conferences you've attended, like, is there a specific talk that stood out to you the most or a moment that stuck with you? There's probably a few, but if I had to narrow it down, I can narrow it down to like two or like sure. 10, but you know, <laughs> so I would say one that like really stuck out to me was um, when I went to a conference and saw like my PI give a talk. That's not like, you know, when he's talking to the group, like how does he talk? Like when he's talking about like a vision for the whole field to like a large audience, you know, giving like a, you know, like a keynote kind of talk, like you see that and you're like, you can really get a good perspective of like, you know, like why your PI is your PI. Yeah. And it's like, makes sense now. The other one I would say that 
that stands out was probably the first time uh, there's quite a few but one of the easy answers i would say was the first time i saw stanley whittingham give a talk just because i didn't know what to expect uh i really didn't know like what like how large the perspective was going to be but you know i was like it, it was like right after he had gotten the nobel prize so i was like i was interested in hearing what he had to say but i want to point out like those are just like kind of like the bigger examples but like i have lots of talks where i'll go and i've never heard of this person before and then they'll just blow my mind and be like i'll be like this is a great talk like i remember there, there was a talk like i'm not gonna like name them but there was a talk at like two conferences ago that i went to and basically i knew them like from one other talk and i thought that talk was good but uh, you know like i didn't know a ton about them they went up and they gave this like uh this like big talk and i was like everyone was like hype after like that's how good it was <laughs> people came out of the room like excited and you know sometimes that's not how it goes with science <laughs> so like uh like to put it like that that was like uh it was one of those ones where it's like you've got people who are like uh like you got i would say the people that are like oh like uh i'm probably gonna go to industry and then they're like hmm postdoc maybe like like really getting people excited about like science so i just want to point out like that can happen with any talk you just have to find that speaker that they've got that great research that they're ready to put out and and they know how to explain it yeah and i've had that happen a number of times like uh people that i've never networked again uh, just because like there's not like a real overlap in the work i remember like i saw a talk at second mrs meeting i went to similar thing they just gave like this killer talk. It was so good. I got a chance to talk to them afterwards. Like it was great. And that's it. I keep tabs on the research, but like we're, we're not connected at all. Like I, I just like have a Google Scholar alert. I'm like, nice. So yeah, going off that, how many times have you gone to a talk and it's like directly affected your research either with like a new idea or completely changing what you thought was the actual cause? Definitely fairly often. I would say that I, I try to take a lot of inspiration from what other people are doing, like the hard work that's being put in, in like tangential fields. It's like, I would say that usually though, it's like slight nudges. I'm not going to go to a talk usually and just be like, whoa, like dropping everything. We're doing that, you know, or like, we're going to, or like, oh, like this explains everything. Now my research is complete. That can happen, but <laughs> it's rarer. Usually it's more like, um, like a nudge like oh i saw this talk it reminds me like this is really a problem we weren't focusing on this before like like well, all right one example like in my own research not to get too into the weeds like i was looking at like some cathode stuff positive part of the battery and this person gave good perspective on anode stuff and this is in like uh, zinc batteries so you have like metal dendrite issues and it made me like i was like we need to think about this a little bit more like on our side and like we do now like we do we do that like uh we're doing both so it's like it wasn't just that like that was like one nudge and then like there was a paper in the field that came out like that's another nudge and like another nudge and it should just kind of like uh let the works slightly move you but like don't let them like completely change your like you're probably on the right path already like don't like just give up what you're doing because you saw this there are exceptions to what i just said though for sure sometimes people see something and they're like that is the future and then they go do it and they're right but it's usually a nudge so then i know you mentioned this at the beginning of the episode but you, you either as a graduate student, you either give a talk or you present a poster. So from your personal experience, how did you prepare for either a poster presentation or, or giving a talk? And can you just explain what that uh, experience was like in terms of its fulfillment and what you enjoyed about it? I would say the most important thing I'll personally, I think, for a talk is that your time is correct everyone hates you if you go over time it's just a fact like actually like seriously that is the most important thing it's like that then the quality of the talk 
uh, because people who go over time, then everyone is behind. Like it, it just, like throws everything off. And also, if you don't have any, because then like there's no time for questions even. Like, what if you had a good talk but you went over time, and then no one can ask about it? And there's no like the questions help the growth. Like that's how the connections start getting built. Someone asks a question, and then maybe there's a follow up after the meeting, and that's how collaboration starts. So good timing for the poster side, I would say. Make sure your poster itself is like well presented uh, and looks right. Like this shouldn't be thrown together last minute. Like have some people check it. I mean, I've been there. I've had some errors on posters before. Uh, it's not great. Like don't don't do that. Get it checked by uh, somebody that is not related to it at all. That's great. And then someone that is related to it. That's my suggestion. Both those people not being your PI, and then also send it to your PI. And for the poster side, kind of just prepare an elevator pitch and just kind of give that. You'll mostly like in, in all reality, you're kind of going to give that on repeat mm -hmm. to like the initial, like someone just says like, tell me about your work. You give them that. Then the, there's like an open dialogue discussion. Poster sessions are usually like served with like snacks and drinks. It's, it's more casual, but you should still be able to give a good like elevator pitch. Cause it's not like, it's just students walking around. Like most of the PIs are there too. Someone might see your work and then be like, oh, like I know your boss, like we should work together on this. And then they find their student and they come talk to you for an hour and there you go. Mm -hmm. I think posters are a great way to start networks, uh, like networking and like collaborations. Like I always attend all the poster sessions, whether I'm giving one or not. One, to see what other people are doing. Two, it's definitely like one of the better networking spots. That's awesome. Well, I think you shared a ton of, of value with us in terms of, you know, how to make the most of MSE conferences. So first of all, thank you so much, Kyle. It was a pleasure having you on the show. And it's always a pleasure having you on the It's Material World team. So Thank you for, for jumping on the show with us today. Yeah, of course. Anytime. As a materials engineer, we can make an impact in nearly every single industry. But with that versatility comes a lot of options to choose from. So if you have no idea which position or industry is right for you, you're not alone. I've been there, I've done that. But just for a moment, imagine narrowing down your ideal role and company within the week. Imagine being able to secure your dream offer without having to apply to hundreds of job openings. Our online course, MSE Academy, includes video testimonials, resumes, interview prep, and mentorship from materials engineers who have been in your shoes. We also connect our members with companies and industry professionals in our expansive network to help accelerate your job search process as much as possible. To learn more and get started, simply click the link in the show notes below and if you enroll within the next 24 hours, we'll add three bonus career-related resources. I hope to see you there.